Uh, once again, good morning. I want to tell you that I am going to be concluding the First Thessalonians sermon series this morning. This is sermon number eight as we have been journeying, journeying through the book of First Thessalonians. And I want to just remind you of a couple of things as we begin this morning. The last couple of sermons, we have focused on the fact that at any moment the trumpet of the Lord could blow and then we would be seeing Jesus face to face. So just right at the beginning, this morning. I want to ask you a very serious question. This morning's message is a very bold one, and we're going to start at the very beginning with a bold question. Are you absolutely certain, absolutely certain that you are prepared right this very second to stand before Jesus Christ face to face? If your answer is, I'm not sure, your answer is really no. Your answer is really no. I have been praying for weeks that we would see salvation, actually for months that we will see salvation in this place. And I want you to know if you are here this morning and you are not ready to meet Jesus face to face, you don't need to leave this place today before giving your heart to the Lord. The second thing that I want to remind you of in our last sermon, we talked about the fact that one of Paul's favorite analogies is the fact he likes to talk about armor. And we talked about last time having our breastplate on and also having the the helmet on. And we talked about the fact that those two things are to protect our heart and mind. Much as if we were going into a military battle, we would have some type of armor on to protect ourselves. I want to remind you this morning, we are in a spiritual battle. We are in a spiritual battle. The enemy is warring among the church Churches everywhere. I want to ask you, do you have your armor on? Do you have your armor on? Now, as we get ready to look into the text this morning, we are going to be taking a look at the final few verses in the book of 1 Thessalonians. And we're going to see that Paul begins to give some final instructions to these people, to that church that he was writing this letter to. And just as those final instructions were applicable for that church, guess what? They are applicable for the church of today. I want you to imagine with me for just a moment that you have just taken a new job, like maybe a couple of weeks ago. You've just taken a new job. Your predecessor has stayed on to train you, and you are are now in your final few minutes with that person. Most likely, you're paying attention because you realize that tomorrow you've got to do the job and that you are going to be responsible. We tend to pay attention to those final instructions. Or perhaps you are holding the hand of one of your loved ones that's just about to pass from life on earth to their eternity. And they are giving you some final instructions. Most likely you're going to listen because what they have to say to you is important. I really believe for the most part that's what Paul was trying to convey to this church. He had some parting instructions for them and they were important and he wanted them to listen. Again, we're going to be talking about final instructions this morning. We're in chapter 5 verses 12 through 28. Now as we begin, we're going to be looking at verse 12 and we see just immediately that Paul uses this term 
brothers. And that's one of, if you read through Paul's writings, you're going to find out that is one of his favorite terms. In fact, in his writings, he uses that term over 60 times. In First and Second Thessalonians alone, he uses that term 27 times. Paul is referring to the church here to the believers as brothers. Now, Paul could have used another word, couldn't he? But he didn't. He was very intentional about the word that he chose because he realized the church is supposed to function as a family. And that's that's the same as here. Our church functions as a family. If you've been through our GBC 101 class, one of the first things you learn in that class is that we are a family here. Now, one of the things that Paul tells these people is that they've got a responsibility to their shepherds. And I want, I want just you to imagine with me for just a moment that we're talking about a flock of sheep. You know, if you know anything at all about sheep, whether or not you have personally worked with sheep or if you've just read and studied about sheep, you know that sheep need a shepherd. Sheep that are left alone without a shepherd, they're not going to make it very long. They'll end up dying without a shepherd. Same way with the church. Church needs strong leadership through their shepherds. And without that, the church will eventually fall apart. Paul is conveying in this verse that there's some responsibilities that the congregation has to the shepherds. The first, they're to be respected. And then... They're also supposed to be loved. But then Paul goes from that. He switches the attention here from that to that person that's sitting by you. Or maybe the person that's sitting right across the aisle from you. Because look what he says. Be at peace among yourselves. Remember I said earlier that we're in a spiritual battle. We are in a spiritual battle This morning, and I want you to know that the enemy would love nothing more than to divide this church and every other church. And guess what? If he's, if he's able to do that, he will likely do it through something that in the lens of eternity is insignificant. When I look back over my lifetime and look at most churches that have split, most of the time it's not over a huge issue. It's over a tiny, tiny issue. We have got to keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus. We've got to keep our ears open to hear what Jesus is telling us. As we move into verses 14 and 15, we see that Paul begins to give some instructions to the church. And right at the very beginning, he identifies three different types of people. The first is the idol. And then the faint-hearted and the weak. All of those three types of people are identified in this verse. Guess what? That church had all three types of people in it. And you know, one of the things that if you have been here for any length of time at all, you will hear Brother Blake and I routinely challenge you is that you must know the proper context of Scripture. You must know the proper context of Scripture. Today, especially when I look through social media, I almost get the impression that a lot of people operate like this. I wake up today and I'm discouraged. So let's just quickly thumb through until I can find some verse that has something about discouragement in it. Oh, there it is. 
There it is. I claim that verse for today. I'm going to post it on social media because that is what the Lord is telling me today. It might be and it might not be. It is so important to know the proper context of Scripture. One of the reasons that it's important in this particular verse, when we begin to talk about the idol, guess what? There were some people in that particular church, they were so convinced that the Lord was coming back any moment that they stopped doing anything else. They completely stopped doing anything else because they were convinced that they were going to see, excuse me, they were going to see the Lord come back. And you know, I wonder, do you know anybody like that today? There are people right now that believe we're seeing the book of Revelation unfold right in front of our very eyes. Now, I'm not going to tell you this morning that we're not. We could be. I don't know if we are or not. But if we believe, if we truly believe that we are seeing the book of Revelation unfold in front of our very eyes, we should spend every waking moment that we can telling others about Jesus because we realize that there are millions of people throughout the world that are lost. They are on their way straight to hell. So if we believe that we are seeing the book of Revelation unfold in front of our very eyes, we need to get busy and tell others about Jesus. But guess what? We need to be busy anyway, telling others about Jesus. We never know when someone is going to take their last breath. So then he moves on and talks about the second type of people, the faint-hearted. Perhaps some of your translations that you are carrying says timid. And guess what these people needed? They needed a spiritual cheerleader. Do you, have you ever known anybody like that? They think, I, I can't, I just can't do what the Lord wants me to do. And guess what? In your own strength, you can't. You can't. But with Him, you can. Sometimes people need somebody to walk by them that is mature in their faith to help them grow. That is one of the, the most beautiful things about discipleship. Sometimes those people just need to hear somebody that they trust say, come on, you can do it. You can do it. Let me help you. I wonder, is there anybody like that in your life that you are walking beside? And then he says to help the weak. Again, context is so very important here. We are not talking about physically weak people here. See, it would, be, it would be easy to look at that particular verse and think, well, this is talking about somebody that doesn't have any muscle tone. That is not what he's talking about. He is talking about somebody who is spiritually weak. You know, maybe this person lacked knowledge. Maybe this type of people liked experience. Maybe they struggled with certain sins that left them feeling completely defeated. Maybe they just didn't have courage. Or maybe they found it difficult to truly even trust God. They were weak in their faith and they needed somebody to help them. I want to remind you this morning that when we are weak, guess who's strong? Guess who is strong? It's Jesus Christ. In our weakest moment, we will find Him so very strong. I wonder... Have you experienced that personally this morning? And then possibly the most difficult part of this particular verse 
Be patient with them all. Be patient with them all. You know, we, we usually struggle with that because we have been, it's been drilled into us that everything's supposed to happen fast. The quicker you can do something, the better. It makes you more, infi- more efficient the quicker you can possibly do it. A lot of times I talk about this as being the microwave mentality. The, the quickest you can do it, the better. That's the mentality that we operate in today a lot of times. But guess what? You're probably not going to get patience that fast. If you struggle with patience right now, you're probably not going to find that restored in the next 30 seconds. Not even the next minute. Not even the next five minutes. It's something that you've got to work on. And then it says, be patient with who? Them all. Even the person that grates your nerves the very hardest. You're supposed to be patient with them. Just like you would be with your best friend. And then verse 15. Now, Paul, when we look at this, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Now, Paul was definitely concerned with relationships inside the church. But guess what he was also concerned with? Relationships outside of the church. That's the reason he is saying here to do good to one another and to everyone. So if I ask you a question this morning, what's that mean? What does to everyone mean? What's everyone mean? Well, it means everyone. So we're we're supposed to seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Now, as we move, um, I want to go to one other thing. I lost my train of thought there for just a moment. But you might be wondering, like when we're dealing with these three types of people, these three types of people, the idle, the faint-hearted, and the weak, you might be wondering, how on earth can I be patient with them? How can I truly be patient with them? How can I really seek, always seek to do good to one another and to everyone? And it's only through the love that we get through Jesus Christ that we're able to do that. Look at these three, these um few verses, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. Does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. Does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. I want to ask you a question. When you hear that passage of Scripture, where are you typically? You're at a wedding, aren't you? Most often when we hear that passage of Scripture, we are at a wedding. Now, although that is a beautiful passage of Scripture for a wedding, I want you to know this morning that passage of Scripture was not written for a wedding. Again, it's so very important to know context of Scripture. That that particular passage of Scripture that we so often hear used at weddings, it was written for a church. It was written for a church. Again, know the proper context of Scripture. And as we look at verses 16 through 18, they are very, very short verses, but very, very powerful verses as well. Verse 16 just simply says, to rejoice always. Now, I want you to know when Paul wrote this, he meant it literally. That we were supposed to rejoice always. 
And you might be asking yourself this morning, how can I even do that? What about those situations that I experience that are unfair? What about those situations that I don't even want to participate in and I find myself right in the middle of, not because of any desire of my own, I just ended up in that situation? What about when somebody close to us dies? What about when something horrible happens in in somebody's life that I love? How can I rejoice always? How can I do that? Well, we've got to get to the point that we realize that when we are talking about joy, we have got to relate that to our joy in Christ. And that joy that we can have in Christ is not measured by those earthly circumstances that we encounter. If you read through the New Testament, many times you are going to find when the New Testament speaks about joy, it has often been accompanied by some type of suffering or sorrow. Now, why would we expect it not to happen like that for our life? And I want to just get right to the point of that this morning. The only way that we as Christians can rejoice Always. It's if our identity is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Folks, I'm going to tell you, if you find your joy in anything or anyone other than Jesus Christ, you will not be able to rejoice always. It simply is not possible. And then we move to verse 17 that simply says, Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Now, I want you to know when Paul wrote this, he wasn't necessarily talking about a prayer that never ends. That's not what he was talking about. But instead, he was talking about an attitude of reverence. As we approach Jesus Christ, we should be reverent. That should be serious to us when we pray because we're having a a direct conversation with Jesus And I want to ask you this morning, how serious is your prayer life? Very, very serious question. How serious is your prayer life? If you are just thinking right now over the past seven days, what would be the grand total of time you've spent in prayer? Now, I hope it's a large, large number. A week ago yesterday, we had talked about it for two or three weeks. We were encouraging people to pray during the two-hour span of time that Franklin Graham was conducting the prayer walk throughout Washington, D.C., as he was leading people to pray for our nation. And I know a number of you signed up to pray, and we were thankful for that. But have we been just as faithful to pray for our nation this week? Do we have to be begged to pray? I pray not. Our president of the United States right now is in the hospital with COVID. Are we praying for him? Regardless of what side of the political situation you are on, I know there's a certain group of people right now, I've seen it on social media, that are rejoicing because the president of the United States is sick. And I just want to tell you this morning, that's sick. That is sick. We should never, not even with our most fierce enemy, we should never rejoice when they're sick. We need to be praying. Are we spending time praying for our leaders? I hope 
that the answer is yes. But again, I want to ask you, how serious is your prayer life? I want to share a personal situation with you. When I went to Zimbabwe the second time, I encountered a woman there that God used her to bring such conviction about the amount of time that I was spending in prayer daily. Because prior to that encounter, I thought I had a pretty serious prayer life. But after I encountered her and saw what she did, I realized my prayer life needed to improve. And I wonder this morning if yours does. But there's this lady and her husband there in this one area of Zimbabwe. And the Lord has blessed them tremendously. They own a huge um, uh, parcel of property there. And the Lord has also blessed them financially. And as a result of that, they are able to help many of the people there in Zimbabwe in that particular area that are struggling. And again, it's a husband and wife that own this, but it's the wife that administers it. And early on every morning, except Sunday, people began lining up to see her, to see if she can possibly help them. And before too long, the question is presented, how long is it going to be before I can see her? Her staff always answers the same way. She'll see you when she finishes praying. She will see you when she finishes praying. And then before long, the question is asked, well, how long will that be before she finishes praying? And the answer then is not until she's finished. Not until she's finished. I was able to have a conversation with that woman and her husband. Actually, I ate a meal in their house uh, near the end of my second trip there. And I asked her, I said, tell me, how do you do it? How are you able to endure the constant demands that you're experiencing day after day after day? And she told me, she says, it's only through prayer that I'm able to do that. The Lord strengthens me through my prayer time. And when she shared that with me, I was so convicted. I knew some things had to change in my life. I wonder, do you ever, when you, when you go into your prayer closet or wherever you pray, do you ever find yourself being distracted? And probably the answer is yes. It's okay to say yes. And probably if we're being honest, this is one of the main distractions. This either rings or it dings because somebody's sending a text. Ever since I got back from Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe that last time, when I, when I go into my prayer time, if I can think of it at all, I completely turn my phone off. I turn it off. Because in that time that I'm praying, there's no call that's more important than the call I have directly with the Lord. No call that's more important. No text that's more important than that. I wonder how much time are you spending in prayer? Again, Paul's giving some final instructions here. He's want, we're going to see here in a few minutes that he's wanting them to pray. How much time are you spending in prayer? And maybe you're thinking, well, you know, I just don't have enough time. I don't have enough time to devote that much time to prayer. Would it be worth getting up 10 or 15 minutes earlier each day to do? Let's face it. If we needed to take our kids somewhere and had to get up 10 or 15 minutes earlier, we would do that in a heartbeat. We would do it in a heartbeat. How much more important should it be to us to set aside that time to meet with our Father? You know, we say we want the nation to pray. We realize that we want our nation to change. We realize that the answer is through prayer 
Are we willing to pray? How serious are we about that? And then moving on, give thanks in all circumstances. Now I want to be sure that you understand here, this does not say give thanks for all circumstances. There's a big difference. God's Word's not telling us to give thanks for all circumstances. But He is telling us to give thanks in all circumstances. And then this particular section of verses ends like this. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So you don't have to look anywhere else. Nowhere else in the Bible do you have to look to see if it's the will of God in Christ Jesus for you to rejoice always. Nowhere else do you have to look in the Bible to see if it's the will of God for you to pray without ceasing and to give thanks in all circumstances. It tells it right at the end of this passage. And then going in verses 19 through 22, we see that he is going to be talking about spiritual integrity and personal responsibility. Verse 19 starts out just simply by saying, don't quench the spirit. And sometimes people get confused on this, and I just want to set the record straight. If this is an area of confusion for you, you or nobody else is able to quench the Holy Spirit. Because guess what? The Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You cannot stop the whole you cannot quench the holy spirit any more than you can quench god but what you can do is quench the fire of the holy spirit you can do that and you can do it rather easily if you're ignoring his presence you are in danger of quenching the fire of the holy spirit if you are ignoring his guidance If you are ignoring that conviction when he knocks on your heart's door, you are in danger of quenching the fire of the Holy Spirit. And I want to move quickly to verse 21. I know my time is going to run out soon. But test everything. Verse 21. But test everything. What's that say to test? Everything. What's everything mean? Everything. How do we do that? How do we test everything? Well, it's really simple. You compare what you see and hear to the Word of God. That's it. You compare what you see and hear to the Word of God. It's your responsibility. And I want to go a little bit deeper in that this morning. Again, if you have been here for any length of time at all, you have heard both Brother Blake and me challenge you routinely from the pulpit. Take what we preach and compare it to the Word of God. We want you to do that. It is your responsibility as a Christian to do that. Verse 21 says to test everything. And again, I want to go just a little bit deeper. One verse that we routinely send you to is Acts 17.11. And what the situation in this particular verse is, Paul, the Apostle Paul, the same person that we've been talking about, he had been preaching to the Berean Jews. And the, the Scripture tells us that they received His Word. But guess what they did? They searched the Scriptures daily to see if what Paul was preaching was actually true. And they should have. They did exactly what they should have done. 
They did exactly what you should have been doing. We've got that responsibility. Paul, again, he was the man that wrote more of our New Testament than any other man. Yet, they realized that they needed to search the Scriptures to see if what he said was true. It's your responsibility. And I want to go just a little bit further on that as well. Be careful when you're posting stuff on social media. There's a lot of things that somebody may record a video on on social media and you may agree with that one little snip, but the person may be a totally different story. Investigate the person. Know something about the person that you are forwarding the video or the quote about because guess what? As a result of you forwarding that, you are affirming them. I want to remind you this morning that just because it might sound Christian doesn't mean that it is Christian. Can I remind you this morning that even Satan knows Scripture? Be careful of what you get wound up in. Be very, very careful. Then he says to hold fast to what is good and then to abstain from every form of evil. Abstain from every form of evil. And I think this is where America struggles a lot because sometimes our flesh don't want to abstain from every form of evil. You might be surprised some of the conversations that I've had with people that are trying to justify sin. But Brother Todd, it's just one time. It's just one look. It's just one inappropriate text message. It's just one inappropriate conversation. It was just one affair. You can fill in the blank with whatever the sin is. But I want to tell you something. Most of the time, just one leads to again and again and again and again. And before you can realize what's happened, that sin will have consumed you. Absolutely will have consumed you. Be careful. Abstain from every form of evil. And then I know I'm I'm running out of time here and I want to finish quickly. Paul ends this letter with a benediction. And I think it's appropriate for us this morning. Verse 23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you to set you apart. That's what he's asking. May the God of peace himself set you apart completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord and Jesus Christ. I want to remind you again, you are going to be standing face to face with Jesus Christ. Will you be able to stand before him as someone who is blameless? And then verse 24 is one of my favorite verses in all scripture. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. You've heard me say from this pulpit many times that if you are a Christian, he has called you to do something. 
He has called you to do something. Are you doing it? Maybe you feel like that you can't. Maybe you feel like you're not strong enough, that you don't know enough. Again, I want to remind you, at your weakest, He is strong. The one who calls you is faithful, and He will do it. And then verse 25, I want to stop there for just a moment. Again, He uses this term, brothers, referring to the church there. He says, pray for us. Again, Paul is asking them to pray. And I want to ask you on behalf of Brother Blake and me, pray for us. Please pray for us. Please pray for us daily. Both of us have seminary educations, but I can promise you that we did not have a class on leading a church through a pandemic. We did not have that. We need your prayers, and we would need your prayers even if there was not a pandemic. Please, please pray for us daily. And then verse 26 is another one of those verses where it's so important to know the context because I'll just tell you on a light note here, if any of y'all try verse 26 with me today other than my wife, it's not going to go over good. It is not going to go over good. But again, we have got to know the context of Scripture. In Paul's day, a kiss on the cheek was a sign of greeting one another. Maybe similar to a handshake today. And then finally, verse 28, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And that's how I want to leave you today. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you today tomorrow, and forevermore. The invitation this morning is very simple. Maybe you're here and you're not saved. Please do not leave this place without knowing where your eternity is going to be spent. You cannot take a chance on your eternity. Maybe some of you are here that are Christians and you realize, I haven't had my armor on. I haven't had that breastplate on. I haven't had the helmet on. I've been engaged in this spiritual battle without those things. Maybe you need to come today and commit. I'm, I'm having my armor on. I realize I'm engaged in the battle. I am a soldier of Jesus Christ. Maybe there are others of you that realize I, I've not been praying like I should. Something's got to change. I want to come forward today and just make the commitment between me and the Lord. You know, when you come forward, just in case there's any doubt, you don't have to tell me or Brother Blake anything. That conversation that you have while you're praying, it can be strictly between you and Jesus Christ. But if you have a need today, I want you to come forward. Get it right between you and Jesus Christ. Make the commitment today that we're going to follow Him And be serious about it. Maybe you've got something else going on in your life. You just need to come and pray for strength. There's nothing wrong. There is no shame in using this altar. I personally wish we used this altar so much that we had to replace the carpet every few months. That's one of the things that I pray for. So I I pray this morning that you will use this altar. I pray that we will see the Holy Spirit move through this congregation this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been considering membership here at Greensburg Baptist. I would love, love to talk to you 
about that. If that's you, come forward. We will be glad to take care of that. But I want you to know, whatever your need is, I know who's sufficient. It's not me, but I know the one who is, Jesus Christ. Again, I wonder, do you know him today? Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for this time that we have had with you. Father, I pray that as we looked at these final instructions that Paul gave this church, Father, I pray that we will realize that you also are giving instructions for us. And what I pray, that we will take those seriously. Father, I pray right now for the people whose hearts doors that you are knocking on. What I pray, that they will let you in. What I pray, that they will be willing to come to this altar and to confess their sins, Lord, and give their hearts to you and make that decision that they are truly going to follow you. And I pray for other people that need to make a decision today, Lord, please. Let this be the day of this, that decisions are made in this place. Father, for the things that you will do in this place, we give you praise, honor, and glory for it all. Right before they sing, I want to tell you something. Um, I, I, I always aim to share as I am preaching exactly how to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want to get up here where the people in the balcony can see me. It is as easy as we tell people in Bible school that it is. It's the ABCs of salvation. You've got to admit that you're a sinner, that you've sinned, that there is something in your life that has separated you from Jesus Christ. You've got to believe that Jesus is God's Son, that He is who He says He is, and that He has done the things that He says He's done, that He loved you so much that He went to the cross and died for you, and He was buried and rose again in three days. And now he is in heaven waiting for that day that he's going to come back. And then you've got to believe and confess that Jesus is Lord. You've got to be willing to turn. The repent part involves turning from your life of sin. It's that easy. It's the ABCs of Christianity. And I pray if you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I pray that you will come today. Let's see. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.